MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, July 30th, 2020. Today, the Trump campaign is accused of laundering $170 million to avoid disclosing donors and vendors. Minneapolis police have identified the umbrella man setting fires during protests as a white supremacist. Trump admits he didn't know Russia was arming the Taliban in a recent interview while repeating Russian talking points. Louis Gohmert has tested positive for coronavirus. Kavanaugh wrote memos to the Supreme Court justices asking them to balk on major decisions to appeal to both sides. And a Senate probe reveals Russian oligarchs are using art to evade sanctions. I'm your host, A.G. Hello. We have a very big show today. Uh, The first part... Uh, our lead is going to feel nostalgic with some old-school Muller-She-Wrote-style news. Uh, and then, after that, I'll be joined by Jordan Coburn for headlines from Under the Radar. And I'll be speaking with former federal prosecutor of almost 30 years, Glenn Kirshner, about the technical crimes Bill Barr committed before Congress yesterday. I know we discussed some of the uh, non-technical bullshit crimes that he uh, perpetrated upon the Cong- uh, you know, the Congress, um, the House Judiciary Committee. But he's going to go over, Glenn Kirshner is going to tell us the technical crimes. Um, And, of course, we'll wrap it up with a good news block. And if you have good news stories, personal or political, head to dailybeanspod.com. Click on Contact to submit them. We want to hear your good news stories. You can also submit your quarantine confessions there for this week's episode or any corrections you might have. Or you can just say hi if you want to. And I just want to let everyone know we will be taking a week off, August 24th through the 28th. But we will have content for you every day at the same time. There will be a show. It just won't be daily live news updates. Not live, but, you know extremely current. Uh, We won't leave you hanging, but we do need to take a break uh, before we gear up for the final 65 days before the election. I think we're going to be burning the candle at both ends until that happens. And thanks to our patron, Stephen Isaac, who has sponsored a series of six book club episodes for Mary Trump's book. That will be premium content for patrons. To become a patron, head to dailybeanspod.com, scroll down the front page, you can sign up or you can sponsor a patron for a year for just 36 bucks because there's a lot of folks that can't swing it these days. So thanks to everyone who's been kind enough to give that gift, especially to strangers. You all are amazing. We have a lot of news to get to, so let's kick it old school Mueller She Wrote style with Hot Notes. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Ah, the good old days. Uh, we all know. Remember the, remember the salad days when it was just Russia? Uh, we all know that since day one of Trump's presidency, one of the goals of the administration, Trump specifically, has been to lift sanctions on Russia enacted by the Obama administration in retaliation for the annexation of Crimea And, of course, for Russia's interference in the 2016 election. After all, that is what the Michael Flynn phone calls with the Russian ambassador Kislyak were about. That's the phone calls that he lied to the FBI about and pleaded guilty to, lying about, to two federal judges. 
Trump has refused to put a lot of new sanctions in place that have been passed by Congress, but has a hard time has had a hard time getting the easing of the old sanctions past Congress. They've done it a little bit, finagled Steve, you know, minutiae of the Treasury to get some of those sanctions lifted, and that has led to Russia and Iran, for that matter, finding ways around the sanctions. Turkey, remember the Hulk Bank. Um, the Hulk Bank indictment was about somebody smuggling gold and cash out of Turkey to circumvent Iran sanctions. And uh, today, from Natasha Bertrand, writing for Politico, we learned that Russian oligarchs have allegedly discovered a surprising new tool to evade sanctions, uh, the secretive and largely unregulated U.S. art industry. The revelation is laid out in a new bipartisan congressional report that just dropped. It was released Wednesday following a two-year-long investigation. It's 150 pages, and it was spearheaded, this investigation, by Senator Rob Portman, Republican of Ohio, and Senator, or, uh, and Senator Tom Carper, Democrat from Delaware. And that was in their capacity as, uh, as chair and vice chair of the Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations. Details, this report details how the committee traced over $18 million in high-value art purchases from U.S. auction houses and private sellers back to three shell companies linked to the Russian construction and energy tycoons, Arcadian Boris Rotenberg. The Rotenbergs, who made a fortune through contracts related to the Sochi Olympics, were sanctioned and had their U.S. assets frozen in March of 2014, and that was part of Obama's sanctions package over the annexation of Crimea. And Arkady Rosenberg, or Rotenberg, excuse me, was later chosen by Putin to direct the construction of a bridge connecting Russia with mainland Crimea. According to the report released today about the investigation, these two have found a way to the, the Rotenbergs have found a way to circumvent the sanctions by moving money through shell companies and investing it in high-value artwork. The report cites more than one million documents had been reviewed, uh, also interviews with nearly two dozen individuals, and information requests from the country's four biggest auction houses. According to Politico, while the Rotenbergs are the only sanctioned individuals the committee could definitively prove are making an end run around the sanctions using this method, a subcommittee staffer told reporters that the in this instance is likely only the tip of the iceberg because of the lax laws that govern the U.S. art industry. Uh, the art market writ large has been described by experts as an ideal play playing ground for money laundering, given its opaque culture, buyers and sellers often insisting on anonymity, and arts consistently soaring value. The global art market is currently valued around $64 billion with a B, with the U.S. accounting for 44% of the global market share. And that's according to the Art Basel and UBS Global Art Market Report of 2020. If uh, you were a Muller She Wrote listener, you'll remember our reporting on the Malaysian Jolo, who laundered millions of stolen money from Malaysia that, uh, in the 1MDB fund, uh, using a film production company, among many other vehicles, to launder the money, namely the one that produced the movie The Wolf of Wall Street. And, of course, the story of how Leonardo DiCaprio had to return a Picasso he was gifted by Jolo because it had been evidence in a money, la in a money laundering scheme. Also of note, Steve Mnuchin opened a movie production company that he had to divest before becoming Secretary of the Treasury. Oddly, he gave his shares to a guy named Leo Blavatnik. That's a Ukrainian-born billionaire linked to a Russian company that recently had sanctions lifted on it, namely Rusal. That's an Oleg Deripaska joint. Stick with me. There's more dots to connect. 
Mnuchin had sanctions lifted on Deripaska so he could build his aluminum plant in Kentucky, and that deal has ties to Mitch McConnell's office. Basically, they were saying, oh, let's go ahead and lift these uh, sanctions on Oleg Deripaska as long as he divests some of his ownership in Rusal. Uh, it should be fine. Um, and so he did that. He divested enough of his uh, stock, um, or Oleg Deripaska did, to avoid or to be able to have those sanctions lifted on him. The problem is uh, he gave all those shares to the Kremlin, so and he still maintains part ownership. Now, Blavatnik was also caught making straw donations to Trump super PACs, and uh, he's an associate of Vexelberg, who did the same thing by donating through Michael Cohen's slush fund called Essential Consulting. It's fucking essential. Now, Mnuchin didn't divest in his movie company uh, all by himself, by the way. That, that movie company is called, what, Rat Pack Dune? He didn't do that on his own. He's not, he's not got that kind of moral uh, value that he's not, he's not very scrupulous. Uh, it came, he, he divested in response to a letter sent by Rep. Jackie Spear of California, who was questioning whether Mnuchin had a conflict of interest as tre Treasury Secretary because of his involvement in the decision to lift the sanctions. Right? On Oleg Deripaska? Right? She was unsatisfied with Mnuchin's response to her initial query and had fired off a new letter in which she suggested that he disclose who he bought his stake, who bought his stake in Rat Pack Dune and Spear and other lawmakers who have tried to block the lifting of sanctions on Russian companies have focused on Blavatnik and his ties to Russian oligarchs. In Spear's initial letter, dated January 23rd, uh, she noted last year uh, that Blavatnik is a former board member of Rusal, which is one of the companies linked to Oleg Deripaska, and recently taken off the sanctions list. Um, there's so many things we could talk about Oleg Deripaska. He was the one who uh, Maria Butina got... Um, video of on his yacht uh, where he was getting a download from Kalimnik uh, or the prime minister, one of the prime ministers of Russia who got a download from Kalimnik, who got a download on the campaign and polling numbers, private polling data from Manafort. That's this, this, that's this Deripaska. Um, and she also noted, uh, Rep Spear noted that Blavatnik and Victor Vexelberg, another Russian billionaire who was also sanctioned, are partners in a company together called Suwal. And that's a major shareholder in Rusal. And Spear wrote that Suol's stake will be increased as a direct result of the sanctions relief package. So back to the Rotenbergs, right? This original art story. Congressional investigators say they found that the Rotenbergs used three shell companies called Highland Business Group Limited, Highland Ventures Group Limited, and Advantage Alliance. And they used these companies to buy the art uh, after they were sanctioned. And then they attempted to conceal their participation in the U.S. art market by hiding behind a Moscow-based art advisor and dealer named Gregory Baltzer. Baltzer, who's a U.S. citizen, uh, and himself, he himself used a shell company called Steamort Limited to make purchases for the Rotenbergs. And that's according to the subcommittee report. The investigators traced the purchase of at least 16 paintings, including Rene Magritte's La Poitrine, which was bought for, or uh, yeah, Poitrine, which was bought for 7.5 million in May of 2014, and he traced that back to the the Rotenberg-linked shell companies. Uh, the subcommittee traced funds used to purchase art across multiple jurisdictions, accounts, and financial institutions, and found that the Rotenberg's funds generally followed the same path 
pre- and post-sanctions, from their shell company Highland Ventures to Steamort Limited to Balzer's bank account with Barclays in London, and then finally to a particular New York auction house. Subcommittee staffers said on Tuesday that Portman, that's the Senator Rob Portman, wanted to investigate the issue because of his strong support for an independent and democratic Ukraine, uh, which was invaded by Russia in 2014 in violation of international law. And Portman hoped to strengthen the deterrence to prevent more bad behavior by Putin and his allies. Back when Republicans cared about what happened to Ukraine. Uh, and that, you know, which now includes homing in on the U.S. art market um, is one of the bad bad behaviors that he wants to hone in on. Among the legislative remedies that the panel is recommending for Congress to amend uh, is the Bank Secrecy Act. They want them to add business handling transactions involving high-value art. The art industry is not currently subject to any anti-money laundering laws under the act. The staffer noted from the subcommittee, that the EU recently imposed fresh anti-money laundering rules requiring businesses handling art transactions over 10,000 euros to verify the identity of the buyer, seller, and ultimate beneficial owner, and called the fact that the U.S. hasn't made a similar change a glaring loophole globally in the effort to combat this kind of crime. Another loophole the staffers identified is the gap between the announcement of sanctions and their actual implementation. In the four days between President Barack Obama's announcement of new sanctions in 2014 and the Treasury Department's actual imposition of those sanctions on individuals and companies, the Rotenbergs repatriated $122 million to Russia, according to the report, in that four days. Uh, Quote, the Treasury Department should take necessary actions to both announce and implement sanctions to avoid creating a window of opportunity for individuals to evade them. That's another recommendation from the report. They also recommended that the department consider sanctioning a designated individual's immediate family members. The subcommittee found that uh, a Crady Rotenberg transferred some of his business interests to his son, Igor, four months after being sanctioned. Given Steve Mnuchin's history with connections to money launderers and sanctioned Russians himself, uh, I wouldn't hold my breath for any movement from this on the Treasury. And I'm sure if Congress put together a bill to amend the Secrecy Act, uh, I doubt Trump would sign it unless it had a veto-proof majority, in which case he would have to hold his nose and do it. And I wouldn't mind seeing that happen. Something else that happened today in Russia news, an interview going around from Axios HBO with uh, Trump, who, first of all, talks about how on his phone call with Russia, he didn't discuss the bounties uh, against U.S. troops where Russia was paying uh, Taliban um, militants to, you know, for, for bounties on U.S. troops in Afghanistan. He also seemed to not know that Russia armed and arms the Taliban uh, because, you know, first of all, he, he pivoted to China when asked about the bounties. And then he taught, you know, he was asked about, well, you know, he was saying that the, the intelligence isn't, you know, for, you know, it's not certain. It's not on high confidence from all the different intelligence agencies, which it never is, by the way. But this is his excuse why he didn't get the intelligence, even though the interviewer was like, it was on your desk. It was in your brief. And he sort of glossed over the fact when asked if he reads his brief. I read things. But really stunningly, um, after pivoting to China after being asked about the bounties, the, the interviewer brought him back to say, well, sh- certainly you know that Russia's arming the Taliban. And Trump responded with a Russian talking point 
saying, we did that. We armed the Afghans in the 80s. That is a Russian talking point. It reminds me of when, you know, he was asked about election interference and he said, well, we do that. Or somebody killing a journalist. We do that. Or, so you know, he, he always throws the United States under the fucking bus. And to use Russian talking points, it's stark. I, I'm sure you've seen the interview. If you haven't, check it out. You can find it everywhere on the socials. It's, a, it's an Axios-Trump interview for HBO Max. It's really, really disturbing. Especially given that we found out from... Uh, actually, the White House gave a readout of the last Trump-Putin call. It's usually Russian state media we learn about Putin-Trump calls from. But, the, you know, our White House actually gave a readout. Said they talked about arms control. He brought that up in the Axios interview as well. Because the reporter was asking why he didn't ask Putin about Russian bounties. And he said that the, the intel wasn't legit. But we know what he talked about now because Trump is now moving to withdraw troops from Germany. Which is a huge deal. A giant gift to Putin. I don't think it will be able to be done by the time he leaves office. Provided we all vote in numbers too big to manipulate. But it's scary to think that Putin kind of now controls our military. When you go back to thinking about the withdrawal from Syria, which Trump tried, and Bolton stopped him from doing it. And then when Bolton was gone, Trump did it, abandoning our Kurdish allies. And now he wants to pull our troops out of Germany, abandoning our NATO allies. Because Putin told him to. We don't have, obviously we don't have the transcript of that call. But do you think they really talked about the arms race? Maybe they did, but you think they did not talk about withdrawing troops from Germany, considering today he's announced withdrawing troops from Germany? Not sure. Either way, it's frightening to think that Russia has any control over our military. So that is my old school Mueller, she wrote style Russian lead A block. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, it's disturbing, but got to get the news out there. We'll be right back after this with headlines from another radar on Jordan Coburn. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey friends, it's AG, and this Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sunsoil CBD. Nowadays, CBD has gained widespread popularity, and so it's popping up in everything from coffee and supplements to even pet treats. But who can you trust? How do you know the dosing? How can you tell what's good and what's not? Those are questions that I had, and Sunsoil CBD had all the answers because they are very about transparency and quality control, and that's what sets them apart from the others. With Sunsoil, you know what's in every bottle and exactly where it came from, so there's no second guessing because they only use ingredients you can understand. Most of their products have just two ingredients, organic hemp and organic coconut oil, and they farm all their own hemp in the Green Mountain Farms of Vermont and extract the CBD themselves, testing for quality and purity at every step. They never use pesticides or GMOs or herbicides. And because Sunsoil does everything in-house and keeps their products simple, they can offer the highest quality CBD at unbeatable prices. In fact, Sunsoil products are half the price of other ingestible CBD brands. And every Sunsoil product is USDA organic, certified, including their oil drops, soft gels, capsules, and coconut oil. I like to put a few of the oil drops in my morning coffee, or sometimes I take a soft gel at night before getting a really good night's sleep. One of the best things about Sunsoil is that it's, you know, because they're the largest CBD manufacturer to partner with 1% for the planet, they will be donating 1% of Sunsoil's annual sales to help environmental nonprofits that do good for people, plants, and the planet. Sunsoil removes all the guesswork by making pure and simple CBD products at unbeatable prices. Get 30% off your first order by going to sunsoil.com slash dailybeans. That's S-U-N-S-O-I-L dot com slash dailybeans for 30% off your order. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It is time for Headlines from Under the Radar, and joining me is Jordan Coburn. Hey, Jordan. Hello. How are you? Good. I hear you just got back from Dog Park. How was it? Yes, it was so good. Coco is so good. She was playing with all the other dogs and running around and just freaking adorable. She's such a good girl. I can't wait girl. to meet her. Yes. Yeah. My good girl. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm so glad. You sound so happy. I love it. I am because I'm about to say some things that are, are going. <laughs> yeah, let's happy. do it. Let's let's go. <laughs> let's let's jump out of this joy plane. <laughs> jump I'm out ready. of the joy plane. But then, but then we'll open our parachutes for the good news block later. Perfect for a nice soft landing where we break our ankles, but we're still alive. <laughs> it's just the ankles. Uh, all right misery uh okay here we go so first of all i'll start here president donald trump's re-election campaign has violated the law by masking millions no. of dollars in spending <laughs> yeah i know i know i know you're shocked uh and this is a nonprofit democracy group alleged is alleging this in a complaint filed with the federal election commission on tuesday of course we know the federal election commission is hobbled right now much like if you broke your ankle skydiving because uh they don't have enough people to start an investigation because they don't have enough people for a quorum because trump won't appoint anyone and that is definitely by design the campaign legal center said in the 81 page filing that the president's reelection campaign and campaign committee hid 170 million dollars in spending to major vendors as well as family members and associates by diverting money through firms headed by Brad Parscale, who was replaced as campaign manager earlier this month, but probably not for that crime. Uh, and so that's that's what has happened. And the nonprofit alleges that the campaign effectively laundered money in order to hide payments to contractors and advisors, including the maker of the campaign app as well as Laura Trump, the president's daughter-in-law, and Kimberly Guilfoyle, mm -hmm. a former Fox News host who is dating the president's son, Donald Trump Jr., and who I think used to date Gavin Newsom, but he got rid of her. Oh, no! So, so that's uh, kind of what's happening uh, right now. So that, this, this <laughs> hiding $170 million, because he doesn't want to know, he doesn't want anyone in the public to know where this money is going, basically. Right. Yeah, we reported on this, I think it was a couple weeks ago now, or maybe a week ago. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Everything blurs together. And I'm really glad that there's someone mm -hmm. coming after him. And I cannot believe that it is just something that we have to accept that there isn't quorum met on that board and nothing's going to happen to hold anyone accountable election-wise. It's like, or at least mm -hmm. campaign finance-wise, That's that blows my mind. That's so crazy. However, the statute of limitations is five years, and so if we vote in numbers too big to manipulate, where his narcissistic ass just has to go away, uh, we can actually put together a quorum in the FEC and prosecute these crimes. Hell yes. Let's fucking do it. Ugh, so dumb. It just feels akin to, like, if the Supreme Court or something had a door jam and they were just like, oh, sorry, there's a door jam. I guess there's no fucking Supreme Court anymore. It's like, what? <laughs> There's no other options? You only have one door? Well, that did sort of happen before Kavanaugh was nominated. I think there was a period of time when there were only eight judges, and they did put off deciding a lot of cases because everything was coming back ties. Yeah. Like, you know, so it does <laughs> sort of happen yeah. uh, with SCOTUS, but they eventually do uh, hear these. So maybe we're in that sort of similar situation. Again, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. We just have to wait and yes. vote. Yes, 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 yes. Definitely. Well, I have more Supreme Court shit, uh, speaking of. Mm. Uh, so it's Brett Kavanaugh, everybody. Remember that piece of shit? 
he mm-hmm. cnn did a bunch of amazing reporting they're, they're doing a series of reports on all of the justices and just their nature and for brett they uncovered through some sources that he behind closed doors has been urging the other members on the bench in a series of private memos this spring to consider avoiding making major decisions over disputes that are related to abortion number one and number two the subpoenas for trump's financial records and this is according to like i said multiple sources that are really familiar with what goes on in the inner workings of the supreme court and it's such (laughs) basically he doesn't he's essentially afraid of putting his actual opinion out on the line so he devised both of these scenarios where the courts wouldn't really have to make a controversial decision and for him the most controversial justice to be sitting that's sitting on that court right now to be advocating for this behind closed doors because he's too much of a of a wussy to own what a fucking asshole he is honestly just Mm -hmm. like very much pisses me off but in the abortion case uh case as in what how he handled this case uh he wanted them to sidestep any ruling on the merits of this louisiana law that stood to close abortion clinics for not having uh if a doctor wasn't credentialed with a certain mandate that louisiana was putting on them they would have to close their clinic but what wound up happening in this case was so many of it it was so hard for them to get that credentialing that it was leading to basically abortions not being able to be accessed by women and so it it, it was just a back and forth you know as it was moving through the courts and appeals of women saying you know or not women saying but the case being that women can't effectively access this is a public health crisis they can't they can't get this with this with this rule and kavanaugh was like well what you know what urging them why don't we why don't we do some sort of sidestepping move instead uh where you know the decision would have resulted in the law not going into effect immediately but it would still allow for uh, down the line for the law to go into effect so he was basically trying to just similarly to what he wound up doing with the 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 house case uh, in his in these memos to his colleagues he was trying to manufacture a way that they could basically not make a controversial decision and defer defer that judgment and when he did it with the, the congress thing that that was also predictable too because he's so badly right now like disliked and has such a horrible reputation sitting on that court that this is the assessment by the way that cnn and that other you know legal analysts and experts are making he's trying to make up for having a horrible reputation specifically when it comes to women they said and so he's trying to not be that guy that he was appointed to be right now even though by doing those sort of sidesteppy moves, uh, if it was successful, his bid for that to happen, he would see somehow escape, you know, maybe more public scrutiny and judgment over being the person that everybody knew he was getting appointed to be. So he's having an identity crisis on the court right now, essentially, is what's happening. Trying to not prove to everybody that he is exactly the piece of shit that he was hired to be. And I have zero sympathy for him being in this position it's it's like he's he's we have we have a, a justice 
at this point who's basically trying to distance himself for being a dick but it's like guess what your dick's attached to you good luck getting away from it you're a dick you're a complete you yeah. can't escape the essence of dick you put on public display for the world to see and this is the interesting part right this is the beans with sort of where i'm going in my head because here's kavanaugh added to the federalist society list last minute uh so that when kennedy retired justice kennedy retired Kavanaugh would replace him, who clerked for Kennedy. But perhaps Kavanaugh didn't want to be, you know, uh, on the Supreme Court or or didn't want to be on the at least the Federalist Society list because maybe he's like, I think that people should have access to abortions. I've caused a few, you know, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. I'm kidding. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, I'm wondering if because there was a there was definitely a deal made. Kavanaugh's debts were paid off. Justice Kennedy retired. I remember that conversation, video mm -hmm. conversation, where Justice Kennedy scolded Trump as if to say, don't you ever say that to me, and waved his finger at him in order to get, you know, for, uh, to get him to retire and probably, and what I think, and this is just beans because I have no proof, to get his son, Justin Kennedy, off the hook for helping facilitate millions and millions of dollars of loans through Deutsche Bank for Trump, where he worked in the high-risk, high-lending wealthy people uh branch of, of deutsche bank and so i can i can imagine a scenario where trump's like justice kennedy you need to resign uh and if you if you don't if i don't get to a point because he was a swing vote right if i don't get to a point uh my own justice uh i'm gonna you know release all the information about about your kid justin at deutsche bank and so he reluctantly agreed and said, only if it's Kavanaugh. And Kavanaugh's like, all right, I'll fucking do it. Because he didn't have a choice, right? Or everyone would expose this Justin Kennedy kid. And so here's Kavanaugh put on the Federalist Society list, not a Federalist Society. Because remember when we were like, why doesn't he just withdraw his nomination with these rape allegations and put up the woman who was on the Federalist Society list? And here's why, because it had to be Kavanaugh, because that was part of the deal. And since it had to be Kavanaugh, you put him in a decision where he has to actually make these horrible decisions that ruin people's lives. And maybe he was like, I don't know if I want to do that. And, and now you've got this scenario in which Trump's position is sort of biting him in the ass. You know, Trump's yeah. deal that he made with Justice Kennedy is sort of biting him in the ass because Kavanaugh's not making the decisions the way that he wants no. these to go down. No, and no, I just think that that's it's it's incredible that all these people who dump millions and millions of dollars into the Trump campaign and into Kavanaugh to get him on the bench are now having buyer's remorse. Yeah, exactly. And I don't feel bad for him. Right. Yeah. And what we effectively have now is a justice that's insecure about being judged for his judgments, which is <laughs> really not sustainable meta. for anyone. <laughs> it's meta. Like, yeah, it, it's like. It's so wild. It's it's so wild. Sounds like to me. a Kermit the Frog song or something. I don't want to be judged for yeah. being a judge. Right. <laughs> and it's like I <laughs> I don't under I I understand that, you know, part of your job as a justice on that court is to exercise very strong and good judgment constantly over whether or not you should hear a case. But when you're talking about cases that are so 
high profile and especially have the potential to set such a massive precedent like with the subpoena case for the house you can't shy away from that stuff he's trying to pass it down back down to congress and then say that they shouldn't see that case on the on the basis that it is political in nature and that there's precedent that the supreme court doesn't make those kinds of decisions and it's like that that kind of thinking you know is is such a unproductive viewpoint i i believe personally well yeah and that's and that's his compromise with trump right like hey i'm not going to decide in your favor but if i refuse to hear the case then it goes to the lower courts and that decision goes against you so what i'll do is we'll agree to hear it and then i'll say i don't have enough and send it back down to the lower courts you can delay 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 magic you Mm -hmm. know so there we are it didn't go his way in the abortion decision though or daca or the lgbtq title seven case no it did not so yep <laughs> the fact that he's trying to do this, they, their reporting was that, you know, it's it's kind of being understood by the people in that inner circle that part of the reason he's doing this and not just coming out with an overt anti-woman judgment or at least it seemingly, you know, being inclined to do so and hear that case and, and rule against it is because he's trying to get on the side of women again. And women are not going to buy Kavanaugh shit ever the entire time that he is on the court. He will never get any sort of acceptance or respect or forgiveness from women as far as I'm concerned. So it's a pointless thing for him to be trying to do. Yeah, and I also kind of wonder if maybe this has to do with the re-election of Susan Collins in the Senate. Because Mm -hmm. if Kavanaugh came back with decisions that women didn't like... Uh, that makes Susan Collins suffer in the at the polls, you know. So there might have been some sort of deal made there. I have no idea. Um, but anyway, he's a, he's a piece of shit. Uh, talking about another piece of shit. Tell us about Umbrella Man. Oh uh, yeah. So Umbrella Man, uh, who really should be named Sledgehammer Man because that's what he used to bust in the windows <laughs> of the Auto Zone in Minneapolis. But this is a guy who went viral after he did exactly what I said. He was holding an umbrella. It was not raining. Uh, a lot of protesters hold umbrellas and it's, you know, presumably to block their faces from being identified because we know that forces are doing that. They're identifying people's faces and then they're going out and arresting them or retaliating against them after the fact. So he's holding an umbrella mm-hmm. and uh, he goes to this auto zone a couple days after George Floyd was murdered and the protests were starting to really kick up and he busts in the windows and then spray paints on them. Uh, free like basically like there's free shit in here essentially and Mm. it came out that he this man is a white dude that has ties to white supremacist organizations and there are multiple if it's who they've seemed to have linked him as being he has had multiple instances of white nationalist violence in his past and this just completely confirms what we've known to be the case which is that there's a bunch of white trolls that are infiltrating these protests and causing violence to stir up the violence specifically and this is actually something um that was said about him that his sole aim was to incite violence that's what experts believe with him upon looking at his his background Mm -hmm. yeah to make it look like to make it look like the black lives matter protests are violent in nature or destructive and and we've seen those videos in the bar hearing it is their campaign rally rally and cry law and order it is why they are justifying sending unmarked fucking federal agents possibly contractors private contractors into cities from the borderlands to arrest 
our, you know, peaceful protesters. It, it is the justification for a great number of things. And if they ever find the fucking coordination between the Trump campaign and these white supremacist groups who are stirring shit up at these rallies in the name of Antifa or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, there will be uh, hell to pay. But this is a big oh, yeah. damn clue. So. Thanks for reporting on that. You know it. You know it exists. They're calling us paid protesters. You know for a fact that's because they're actually the ones that have people organizing. Yeah, it's a projection. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for that story. Before uh, we take a break here, I just need to report that Louis Gohmert, dumbest congressman on the planet, has tested positive for coronavirus. Uh, and not only that, but a couple of things have happened subsequently. You know, he was part of the the bar hearings. Uh, yesterday on in Tuesday at the House Judiciary Committee, and there are videos and showing him standing very close to Barr without a mask. And so this morning, Bill Barr was tested. Uh, even though we don't, we haven't heard the results. I'm sure the results are back, which gives me pause, because you know these assholes get test results in 20 minutes, where the rest of us have to wait 20 days. Uh, so there's that. And then of course, all the contact tracing to everyone else he came in contact with because he's been not wearing a mask. But, uh, one of the people from his staff reached out to the media and said, Hey, when you talk about Gomert, do us a favor, say that the reason he, you know, I just want to let you know, the reason he's not been wearing masks with staff is because, you know, we're trying to show that everything's okay and that the country can reopen. So that is showing absolute, proof that, you know, at least Gomert, but probably the entire Republican Party are not wearing masks so that they can feel, make everyone feel like everything's normal and that we can reopen the economy and reopen schools. However, uh, we are now surpassed, we've surpassed 150,000 dead. And not only that, but on some interview, Louis Gomert actually said the reason he probably contracted COVID was from his mask. So he's blaming mask wearing for the spread of COVID. To which I thought, you know, you could have killed two birds with one stone and amped up one of Trump's talking points and said that it was the test that actually caused your coronavirus. But he went with mask. So that's where we're at. He's a giant piece of shit. But I do not wish him harm uh, or his family or anyone of the Republicans or Bill Barr who's come in contact with him. But he has tested positive for coronavirus. And so that's where we're at. Uh, And we'll await uh, Bill Barr's test results as well. So those are the headlines from Under the Radar. Um, if you stick around with me uh, after this quick interview with Kirshner, we can do the good news. Sound all right? Yes. All right, everybody. We'll be right back after this quick break with Glenn Kirshner to talk about the 1001 violations of Bill Barr, which sounds like he made 1001 violations, but actually that's the number of the statute for lying to Congress. We'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's AG. This portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sunbasket. These are some crazy days. We're all trying to stay healthy. We want our immune systems to be boosted. And if you're like me, you want to avoid crowded grocery stores because you're socially distancing. And there's a lot of people in there who aren't putting masks over their pie holes. Well, I recommend trying Sunbasket. Sunbasket delivers healthy, delicious meals straight to your door. It's the perfect solution for these crazy times. And they have amazing recipes for all kinds of dietary preferences, including paleo, gluten-free, Mediterranean, vegetarian, and more. They make it easy and convenient. Everything is pre-portioned, ready to prep and cook so you can enjoy a full dinner of organic produce and clean ingredients in as little as 15 minutes no matter how good you are at cooking which is great for me because i'm terrible but these turn out perfect every time each week they offer a wide range of recipes to choose from 
like for example you can get Hwasan strip uh, steak strip lettuce cups which are so good with pickled daikon and carrots or black bean tostadas diablo with cabbage slaw and guacamole and you can order from any recipes across their menu skip a week if you need to double up on your favorites i do that a lot i kind of get stuck in a thing where i just love one thing over and over and sunbasket facilities have the highest levels of food and employee safety they reinforce their strict adherence to operating procedures and they've increased sanitization frequency in their distribution centers to protect you and your family and their employees and right now, Sunbasket is offering $35 off your order when you go right now to sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans at checkout. That's sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and use promo code dailybeans at checkout for $35 off your order. Again, sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Joining us today to discuss the instances of Barr perjuring himself is former federal prosecutor of many, many years, Glenn Kirshner. Glenn, thanks for speaking with me today. Hey, good talking with you. It's good to, good to talk to you, too. So yesterday, uh, Ellie Honig and I went through the hearing itself and talked about all the, you know, uh, different exchanges that happened that, that were of note, which was there were a lot of them. And, and now I wanted to bring you on to talk about the 1001 violations, uh, which is actually not not how many there are but that's the statute for perjuring yourself uh, although there were probably a 1001 violations you know so. and well i i only counted up about 946 so it was it was dang close to 1001 <laughs> but you know all of which you're going to tell us about right now <laughs> well you know i think one of my favorites because it's so sort of pathetic is when he said you know, I never read Donald Trump's tweets and I just can't do my job because I'm so busy reading Donald Trump's tweets. I mean, mm-hmm. he didn't put it. He didn't put that fine a point on it. But I mean, it's absurd that he would testify under oath that he doesn't read the president's tweets when, among other things, the president's tweets are considered official statements of the White House and of the president. That's that's common knowledge. And the president so often tweets about criminal justice matters or about, you know, the cases involving his criminal associates. So for the American people to accept from Bill Barr that he doesn't read those tweets is just kind of absurd. Now, people are like, well, but that's not proof beyond a reasonable doubt. No, but it's it's probable cause, I would suggest. And then what you have to do is you investigate, you subpoena his cell phone record and you could probably prove in your sleep that that was a lie. Bill Barr does, in fact, read at least some of Donald Trump's tweets. So, mm. you know, that one, I think, is a gimme. Um, mm. You know, the, the Roger Stone stuff was really interesting. I'm not sure how many um, perjury charges or 1001 false statements we could tease out of it. But I thought Swalwell actually did a really nice job of setting him up, you know, because first he reminded Barr that, you know, you testified in your confirmation hearing when you were being questioned by Senator Leahy that it would be a crime, that was your word, for the president to swap a pardon for an agreement not to provide incriminating information about him, the president. And so Swalwell set him up beautifully. And then he took Attorney General Barr through the facts that show indisputably that what Trump did when he commuted Roger Stone's sentence was he swapped that commutation for Stone's basically guarantee that he wouldn't incriminate Trump. I mean, right down to the Mm -hmm. very day, July 10th, that 
um, Stone gave an interview to Howard Feynman and said, there was great pressure on me to turn against the president, but I mm. didn't do it. Now, Mr. President, I don't want a pardon. I want a commutation of my sentence, and I believe the president will give it to me. And then you mm -hmm. see the White House press release, you know, they proudly announced that President Donald J. Trump has commuted the sentence of Roger Stone. Bill Barr, twice under oath, said those exact facts and circumstances are criminal. And he promised the American people expressly that he would not let it, that he would not let it stand. He would address it. So, I mean, the man was exposed over and over and over again for the shill for Donald Trump that, that he is. He is Donald Trump's Roy Cohn. Yeah, and he seemed also to confuse Peter Strzok with the lawyer who allegedly changed the language in an email in the Carter Page FISA warrant discussions, which, first of all, the email, he, Barth, for some reason, thought the email was submitted to the court to get the FISA warrant. It wasn't. It was a, it was a conversation about whether or not Carter Page was a CIA operative or a CI or, you know, mm -hmm. uh, et cetera. Uh, and second of all, he started talking about the lawyer who made those changes to that email. And we've all and he said something about we've all seen the, his biased text messages. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm like, no, we haven't. That lawyer has a different name than Peter Strzok. <laughs> I just I couldn't I couldn't understand what he was talking about. Well, I think that goes to another problem with him. He was not only sloppy. He's just kind of cavalier about the whole thing. He didn't really care to get any of the facts right. He was entirely comfortable saying that he knows nothing about things that he obviously either knows about or should know about in his capacity as attorney general. And, you know, he thinks he's smarter than he is. And I, what he said about the Lafayette Park or the Lafayette Square incident kind of drove home to me that Bill Barr is not that bright. He's not a tactical thinker. He may be a pretty accomplished criminal lawyer. I mean, and when I mean criminal lawyer, I don't mean he practices criminal law. I mean, he's a lawyer who is a criminal, but he's, you know, he's not that bright. <laughs> a thousand and one violations from the criminal lawyer. <laughs> Here's what he said about the Lafayette Square thing. And, and I was really kind of taken aback. So he said in his zeal to try to convince his audience that they didn't gas the protesters because the president wanted a photo op. So he wanted to be able to stroll across the street to the church in unimpeded fashion. He kept saying, no, 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 no. That plan was in place the day before. We wanted to push the perimeter back one block further away from the White House. And he, and he said a couple of times, what we did was just part of the plan to push the perimeter back. It had nothing to do with what the protesters were doing at that moment. So I thought, well, what he just took away from himself, because this has got to be investigated and hopefully indicted come January, what mm -hmm. he took away from himself is the argument that the protesters were advancing on the White House. Therefore, this was a legitimate crowd control tactic that we had to use to push the perimeter back a block for safety reasons. He completely took that argument away from himself. And frankly, that might actually be a good defense to the charge that you, when I say charge, the criminal charge that you, Bill Barr, ordered the gassing of peaceful protesters 
and that that's a crime because you assaulted them and you violated their First Amendment free speech rights and their rights to assemble. But he, you know, he was trying to accomplish one thing and say it wasn't about a photo op. And he actually took a defense away from himself. So he's not that deep a tactical thinker. No, and he did it also when he admitted that there was not a Brady violation in the Flynn case, which is what <laughs> one of the, you know, Sidney Powell's whole case sort of the linchpin of is that there was a Brady violation, that all of this stuff came came out and, and that the prosecutors, we have to throw out the prosecutor's case and we have to throw the judge out because they didn't bring forth these exculpatory pieces of evidence, which, by the way, we haven't seen yet. Uh, and so he took that away. And then he also claimed that they didn't change the Flynn sentencing recommendation, but they did. Mm -hmm. They took it from zero to six months to just probation. And I feel like he forgot about it. He was cavalier and casual about the whole thing. He didn't he didn't really care what came tumbling out of his mouth. And the other thing that that reinforced for me is I am quite sure he's not worried. Isn't he? Exactly. He's not worried. Uh, and why is he not worried? There are two reasons. One, Donald Trump Trump's has a, pardon he's got a pre-printed pardon with Bill Barr's name on it in his lower in his bottom desk drawer. And and you know what? That's bad enough. But you know what? Get me in a courtroom beginning in January and I will fight the legality of a corrupt pardon like that being issued all day long. And I think we have a very good shot at winning because the judiciary will not will not buy into a system of government whereby a criminal president can commit all the crimes he wants and then he can pardon his criminal attorney general who general who was his enabler in committing those crimes. And all of it is OK with the judiciary. The judiciary will not be comfortable putting all of those people above the law and beyond the reach of the judiciary, because you know what? They also like their power. They like to remain a co-equal branch of government and they will be giving it up if they say all corrupt pardons across the board are just fine with us, the judges. Um, but the the other thing that it really makes me queasy uh, about is I hope to heck they don't think that they have the election in the bag because of whatever you know nefarious plans criminal plans they have already put in place that that we don't know about. Yeah, and and you also made that argument about you know fighting a corrupt pardon with the pardon or commutation of Roger Stone mm -hmm. uh, if he does it for Manafort or Flynn. And and the thing is, another thing about the justice system, yeah, the, the judiciary wants its power, but also these kinds of crimes, what what uh, what Trump refers to as process crimes, mm -hmm. like witness intimidation or covering up for somebody else, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you know, um, bribery, these these kind of crimes strike at the core of our judiciary. That's why it was such a everyone was so shocked with the stone commutation because the crimes that he committed aren't just process crimes. I mean, they go to the heart of, of what our justice system is built on, the, the ability to prosecute criminals. Yeah. And if people use the term process crime, I wish that would strike the ear as the kind of crime that will completely undermine the process of the criminal justice system. So it ought to be right up there with, you know what, this is like murder or process crimes. I wish people would would take that that term seriously. It's not a term. There's no such thing. Prosecutors don't talk mm -hmm. about process crimes. You know, bad, bad actors talk about process crimes in an mm -hmm. attempt to downplay the significance of them. But you know what? Crimes 
that impact or have the potential to destroy the process are mm-hmm. really real, as you point out, really significant crimes. Yeah. And the judiciary does not take them lightly. We've seen that from Beryl Howell and Judge Berman Jackson, etc. I mean, well, you know, I could go on with uh, Justice Sullivan. Uh, but you know, I'm with you. I think we need. I think we need a new name, like core crimes, or you know, heart of the mm-hmm. judiciary crimes, or something. Something besides. But that's that's their that's their little reflexive control. That's their little active measure. Their little Russian word game. Yeah. Like they did with the word collusion. You know. Um, yeah, I, I do wish. I, I, I there were some opportunities that were lost. I think yesterday. I really wish somebody had pressed bar on who is involved in these you know, federal efforts to do crowd control in Portland and, and other places. I mean, we know it's the Federal Protective Service, which is a organization under DHS, and we know it's U.S. Marshals, and it's probably some ICE and CBP people. But I really, really wanted somebody to ask him, are you using private contractors? Because there are people yeah. running around without any insignia, and my fear is these are Eric Prince's people, you know, the brother of Betsy DeVos, Eric Prince, who my office prosecuted his Blackwater contractors three times for mass murder in Iraq. So, you know, the one thing I really wanted to know, know is whether our tax dollars were being funneled to Eric Prince's, you know, mercenaries, his contractors, so they could go to Portland and beat the protesters. I mean, that's something I really wish they had pressed bar about. Yeah, me too. And we've been harping on this for weeks, ever since we got that report that Eric Prince was working on a group of mercenaries that were going to spy on protesters. So I have, a, you know, massive concerns about that, too, particularly, like you said, you prosecuted Blackwater. You know what they are capable of. And when you have these private contractors, it's not just, you know, because Eric Prince is an asshole and, it, and this is illegal and a violation of the constitutional rights, but that they are not held to the same standards as federal officers and they are harder to prosecute, uh, as you know. And, and they don't have to follow the same rules uh, as, as federal prosecutors or as, you know, our, our members of the military. So I, I wanted to, to be pressed. I wanted them to be pressed on that as well. Yeah. And, and, and I also wish they had worked a little bit harder on the vote by mail. Decent yeah. claim that Trump keeps tweeting out about how it's rife with fraud. It's rife with fraud. I wish somebody had just asked Bill Barr in the last decade. How many times has the Department of Justice prosecuted a? I know, I know, I know. A giant damn near zero there, but so. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say Jayapal went after that, and she ran out of her, out of time. And I know she wanted to keep pressing on that, but her but her her time ran out. So she, uh, for unanimous consent, submitted an article saying that there was a report done by uh, MIT that shows of the 250 million mail-in ballots uh, submitted in the last decade, 0.00006% of them have found have been found to be fraudulent. Yeah. And so I thought that was a good little twist of the knife at the end because, honestly, this whole unanimous consent submission thing isn't really about the fucking record. It's about getting it out on television, these headlines and these articles and these names, sort of like that thing that you do with the jury where you're like, I withdraw my question, but you've already rung the bell. <laughs> yeah, which I would never do. I mean, you can't just spit it out so they can hear it. Um, no. <laughs> no, you got to play by the you got to play by the rules. 
but I do wish people had worked harder to extract some actual data from Barr. Like, you know, the DOJ has never prosecuted that kind of case or maybe once, um, because that's the kind of thing that would have been really useful move as we move forward to November. But politicians are going to be politicians, and a lot of them couldn't resist just giving the five-minute speeches, which, you know, I guess I understand. Nah, I kind of don't. I wish Daniel Goldberg would have done it, but my understanding is Barr wouldn't have shown up if, if they had counsel asking the questions. So, say la vie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, thanks, Glenn Kirshner. Thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate you going over these 1,001 criminal lawyer violations, um, which would be two it. totally different books, right? <laughs> good, good, good to be with you. Glenn, before I let you go, tell everyone where they can find you. They can find me on YouTube. My YouTube channel is just my name, Glenn Kirshner. And then on Twitter, I'm Glenn Kirshner, too. All right. Thanks very much. Everybody stick around right after this break. We'll be back with the Good News Block. Stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's AG, and this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by FitBod. I know many of us are stuck at home, probably eating more and exercising less. Our gyms are closed down. But in this pandemic, it's important that we get moving to so we don't neglect our health and fitness and our mental well-being. Uh, so whether you're new to the gym or you've been lifting weights for years, it can be hard to find the right workout program and stick to it especially. But with FitBod, you get a personalized fitness program that adapts as you go. FitBot is a smart fitness app that takes all the guesswork out of planning your workouts. FitBot's algorithm factors in your goals, your experience level, equipment, workout duration, and muscle recovery time to intelligently craft the perfect total body workout program just for you. With each workout, the app learns your abilities and plans workouts designed to maximize your results. I love that FitBot cycles new exercises into the mix, keeping my workouts fresh. They keep it balanced, too, and never overwork a muscle group, so I'm not too sore for the next time. Plus, there's so much variety. The workouts are constantly changing and rotating. I never get bored, and I've stuck with it for much longer than I usually do with other exercise plans because of that. And with FitBot, I'm always looking forward to the next workout, and I can already see the results. FitBot is super easy to use and even has HD video tutorials to make learning new exercises a breeze. It's perfect for anyone who's looking to get better fitness results, whether your goal is just general fitness or feeling better or just improving your mental health. Uh, it integrates with other fitness health apps, too, like Apple Health and Fitbit and Strava. Personalized training can be tough on the budget, but FitBod's only $9.99 a month or $59.99 a year. Get personalized fitness plans that help you work out smarter at fitbod.me slash dailybeans. Try FitBod for free for a month when you sign up today at fitbod.me slash dailybeans. That's one month free when you sign up at fitbod.me slash dailybeans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It is time for the good news. Well, we'll float on. And, of course, with me for the good news is Jordan Coburn. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Hey, you got it. How about that Glenn Kirshner? Hey. Yes. <laughs> Who was it that said? <laughs> One of our patrons dude. said they have, like, a massive crush on him, right? Yeah, yeah. And I was supposed to tell him, but I forgot. Damn ah, it. I next supposed time. to tell him. Next time. Blast. Blast. Blast, Glenn. Um, I do have a real quick good news story before you kick us off with our uh, listener Ooh. good news stories. And this is just sort of cool. The dogs in Germany are trained now to sniff out coronavirus with stunning accuracy. They're almost at like 100% accuracy sniffing Holy out shit. coronavirus in, in people. And uh, this is happening in Germany. And so this, you know, I don't know sort of how I like future applications perhaps at airports or for travel or for, you know, when you go to a large event, you know, assuming once we have a vaccine, this makes me feel so good because of these assholes, mask holes, the people who won't wear masks and the people who probably are going to refuse to have a vaccine because they think Bill Gates is trying to microchip them. Uh, th maybe we'll have these fucking 
Rona sniffing dogs that'll be like, nope, asshole, meh, you know, go isolate at the Hilton or whatever. Yeah, it is a it is quite a blast to the ego of our country, though, to know that we are so far from fixing this. And meanwhile, in Germany, they're training dogs (laughs) to to fix the problem. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of uh, Greg Giraldo talking about how Brazil is ahead of us on clean energy because they're powering everything off sugarcane. And he's like, how did Brazil get ahead of us on this? Their last big innovation was pussy waxing. <laughs> and uh, I thought that that was a pretty uh, wild misogynist uh, joke. Uh, it's, you know, he, he's 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 of the older school, so. I don't think his uh, album could be recorded nowadays. Yeah, that's more just a joke about puns. Yeah. <laughs> but yes. So with that, with that out of the way, I do love, um, what is it? Midlife Vices is my favorite by Greg Giraldo. He's since passed away. It is old school comedy. So there's a lot of stuff that's probably not going to fly, but I do love that album. All right, go for it. Uh, who 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 do we have up first in our listener good news? Yeah, so our first submission comes from Anonymous. Uh, pronoun she her. She says, my good news is that I switched jobs kind of accidentally because of COVID-19, and I am fucking thriving. That is bolded. Fucking Woo. thriving. I work at a small chemical company, and for the last five years, I've been the only female on the production side of operations. Being the lone female engineer has been fine for the most part, except for a few times. Sarcastic. Yay, patriarchy. But I was getting frustrated with my new management. Long story short, I sent an angry, swear-filled rant to the right person who gave me an opportunity to dip my toe into a new department. I was actually using my degree and doing real engineering work again. And biggest shocker of all, I was doing well. Imposter syndrome is a bitch. When schools closed and our hours got... Yeah. When schools closed and our hours got changed around... I volunteered to take on more responsibility to allow my new boss, the friend I ranted at, to stay home with his young kids to facilitate distance learning. New boss is so happy with my work that my switch is going to become permanent as soon as we hire someone to fill my old position. Also, since my confidence boost, I have been actively pushing management to hire more women in the plant. Because if I've learned anything over the last few months, it's that we need to elevate and support each other. Mm. P.S. I loved your interview with Mary Trump so much that I became a patron for the book club. You ladies are amazing Uh badasses and keep up the great work you do. Yay! Welcome to the patron life! Thank you, the patron life. Do do do. Yeah, we'll see you at the happy hour on Friday. Near 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 near. And then the sunglasses come down. Patron life. Yes. Congratulations. <laughs> that is a really good feeling. I know what it's like to have. You know, I've had imposter syndrome forever, and you always feel like no matter how badass you are at work, you're always like sucking. And so I, I'm so happy that you're like not feeling that anymore. And mm-hmm. especially that you're helping uh, women get more women, get jobs in the plant because fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. Smash it. Uh, all right. From uh, the data diva next up um, pronoun she, her. I was so glad to hear about someone housing a campaign worker for Biden and in my own field of data and analytics at that. Uh, did you know that one of the best ways to help a campaign is to house a staffer? We are often in an area for only a few months, so getting an apartment is hard. Housing a a, uh, campaign worker in a spare bedroom can save a staffer and therefore the campaign hundreds or more a month. Normally, we are very lightweight guests. All we need is a place to shower, sleep, and storage. Uh, This year, people might be around less and making more phone calls from home, but it's still an amazing way to help the campaign. I've been doing this for 16 years, and I've lived in more than a dozen strangers' spare bedrooms and guest houses during that time. Contact your local campaign or county Democratic Party to find out who needs supporter housing. 
Oh, I love that. Comedians do that. Yes. So my mom actually did that back in Vegas for two Bernie staffers. And they're like, they were just the sweetest, most awesome people. And it was so fun. And they like developed this really cool, sweet friendship with my mom. And my mom cooked for them all the time. And they're like my age. So when I would come to visit from college, we were like friends. And it was so, it was so cool. It was really rewarding. Like I said, they're still like in our life, you know, whether it's through social media or if we get to meet up every once in a while. So definitely would recommend doing that. That's so cool. Love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up from Anonymous, pronoun she, her. Anonymous says, the past 18 months have been particularly difficult for my significant other. He has had to move three times, lost an important relationship in his life, and just felt like everyone else had abandoned him. Loving him as I do and wanting him to finally have some stability back, during the summer of 2019, I invited him to move in with me. We have been living together ever since. Just as things began looking up, the universe proved to be a cruel mistress. It was about that time that he also began having problems with his vision. His glasses gradually became less and less effective. Over the course of the next several months, new symptoms began appearing one at a time. Floaters in his field of vision. Everything was more blurry than before. He lost his peripheral vision. He couldn't see or read anything unless it was two inches from his face. It finally became so bad that he ceased being able to drive. As such, he lost his ability to work. Needless to say, he was devastated and it has taken a mighty toll on his mental health. When COVID hit, things only got worse. My boyfriend is a stand-up comedian. All of his gigs, his only source of remaining income, were cancelled. He didn't know when or if he would be able to reschedule. Just another blow in a series of knockout punches. In an effort to get his sight back and get him back to work, he made an appointment with a local ophthalmologist. He failed every single eye test they gave him. The diagnosis? Severe cataracts in both eyes. He's only 44 years old. Understandably, he felt helpless and overwhelmed. Now, here comes the good news. Shortly thereafter, he found an incredible eye surgeon near us who has been a total godsend. She is kind, caring, and has reassured him at every step. He's never had any sort of surgery before. Today, he had his first of two cataract surgeries, and the results have already been amazing. He has noticed an immediate difference in his eyesight. His peripheral vision has returned Mm. in his right eye, and the colors around him are much brighter. But the most touching moment was when he got home from the hospital. I was in the bathroom helping him with his multiple bottles of prescription eye drops when he looked at me, stopped everything, and went quiet. He smiled so big and said... I can actually see you again. I had to gulp back the tears of joy and love I felt in that moment. August 11th is his next surgery. I am so excited for him and proud of him for fighting through his mental struggles, taking the bull by the horns, and taking the steps necessary to get his life back. He deserves it. Mm. Fuck. Yes. God, that's so terrifying. And, like, yeah, totally... I feel that fighting for his men- fighting through his mental struggles that is that requires so much strength in the head yeah. to make it through that with a positive outlook as much as he can and I'm so glad that that doctor's helping. Stand up comedy. I now I want to hear his stuff. Yeah, totally. If you're comfortable, send us uh, his name. Yeah. I would I would love to hear it. Me too. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. That's very. Oh, uh, that just makes me so happy. Um Next up from Mama C, uh, pronoun she, her. So here in New Jersey, New Jersey, politically held county boards are called boards of chosen freeholders. Now, while there is a bill floating around the Senate and assembly that would change the term freeholder to county commissioner, it's still just floating around. Anyway, the director of the board here in Burlington County, who happens to be a badass woman of color, has stated that a resolution will be put on the agenda in August to rename the seats to county commissioners. 
Now, they aren't paying extra to go ahead and change stationery or websites until they need new stuff, but it is quite a thrill to know my little piece of jersey is taking a major uh, giant leap forward. While this is pretty damn good news, I have some personal news, too. Last time I wrote in and shared that I took some Coursera classes. Well, I'm about to finish my first English composition course, and I'm very proud of myself for maintaining a 90%. Yay! Uh, I turned the big 5-0 on July 20th. Happy birthday, Big Mama C. And for the first time in over 30 years, I feel that I have taken the first baby steps towards thriving and not just surviving. AG, listening to you about your situation and your kindness has helped me a great deal. I'm coming up on the first anniversary of leaving an abuser. We still aren't divorced, but baby steps. After the election in 2016, I was lucky to find some really amazing friends. They have listened when I needed, supported me when I left, and now are cheering me on as I go back to school. I wouldn't be where I am without them. I love and support my chosen family as much as they love me. I couldn't have left or stayed away if I didn't have them or Jordan, AG, and Mandy. Keep up the amazing news with swears. I know. I would be lost without Jordan's fart jokes. Oh, and I'm right there with her on the boobs not matching. Hell yeah. My left boob is a full size smaller than my right. Thank you for being you and helping so many of us keep our smiles and a little piece of hope when the world seems lost, angry, and criminal. Oh, man. Oh, my God. Thank you. You're welcome. Dude, I got the opposite. My right my right boob is way smaller than my left. Maybe if we hug, finally we'll be even. <laughs> Like pieces of a puzzle. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I am thinking it's a sign. The sizes of our boobs are mirror images, (laughs) and when we hug, they're perfectly combined. (laughs) There, I wrote a parody (laughs) from the Postal Service. Oh, my gosh. Um, That's funny. Dude, that one got me. That was yeah, I know. I'm like, oh, I can't. I think I'm. I'm glad that um, anything I do helps anyone do anything. So I really appreciate that because, like I said a million times, you guys help me as well. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, um, I love this. Next up from Amy, pronoun she her. Hi, ladies. You are lovely lights in these crazy times. Thank you. I finally had my dental checkup after rescheduling twice. Thankfully, all went well. I'm pretty dentist-phobic. My god, I feel you. It fucking sucks. Anyway, the really good news is that my Trump-loving dentist- Ugh, god, get out of my mouth! No! You. No. <laughs> said, after <laughs> after asking if I'm having any problems with my teeth, I wish people would cl- quit complaining, shut up, and put their masks on. We would get back to normal Ooh. life a lot sooner if everyone would just wear a mask. I was stunned. Since he had his hands in my mouth, I gave him a double thumbs up. That was enough to put <laughs> me in a good mood for the rest of the day. Ugh. <laughs> yes. Now Wonderful. vote for Biden. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you should just, like... You should just have someone write in a really tiny marker, like, vote for Biden on your teeth or something. That'd be funny. Just see what he does. <laughs> get it, get it, get it tattooed on your bottom lip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> on the inside, you know how people get sh- shit tattooed on the inside of their bottom lip? and then, Yes, hey. 100%, but it says something like, like, fucking chill or, like, weed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, I would say. This is my Biden. lip. Like, yeah. Yeah vote for biden maybe he'll respect the commitment to the bit and he'll be like you know what just for you just for you i can do that yeah who knows yeah see what i did to my lip you need to vote yeah for biden yeah <laughs> uh next oh up god from uh from anonymous she her 
my grandma's assisted living facility went on hard lockdown in early March and was so diligent that they only ever had one case of COVID, asymptomatic, and no staff or residents ever tested positive after that single case. It's been hard on my grandma, who deals with dementia. The facility has allowed window visits for residents where they're allowed to sit uh, in the dining room and visit with family members through a screened window, masked and still six feet apart. It's better than nothing, but still difficult for many. However, they recently announced that they're going to be able to start sunshine visits soon. Residents can sit outside and visit with families still masked and six feet apart, but at least in a little more in person. They'll be able to keep doing this as long as visitors respect all the rules and stay masked and distant, and residents and staff continue to test negative. I know this is going to do a world of good for my grandma, though when I take my daughter, we'll have to stay behind the window because she's too young to understand distance and masking. But yay for a tiny bit more normalcy for at-risk seniors. Mm-hmm. Th- and this breaks my heart. It didn't occur to me. Yeah, I don't have children. I was one once, but that's my only experience. Um, it, it, that little kids who want to hug their nana and can't, you know, like mm-hmm. I d- it never occurred to me. Um, little kids who want to hug their best friends or uh, go up to the park and pet the dog or hug their, hug their nana. I, I can't. It's like that just breaks my heart because they don't know. And how do you explain it to them that they aren't allowed to hug their not hug their Nana, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this is this is I'm so glad that they only had the one case and they're doing everything right. And now you can have the outdoor sits. And I think that that'll be that'll be great. Um even just to even just to get outside, I went for a walk yesterday, and I know that that sounds like not a big deal, but you know I've got an indoor treadmill, and that's how I run uh, every day for no. Uh, but um, just getting outside into the sun is helps so much with my with my brain. So I think that that'll be wonderful, and I I look forward to hearing about it. So you mm-hmm. have to tell us when you go mm-hmm. what it was like. Definitely, we love follow ups. We live for the follow-up. <laughs> All right. Well, that is the good news segment for today. So do you have any uh, parting thoughts there, Jordan? Um, No, not for me. Shout out to your dog? Yes. Shout out to Coco. Yes. <laughs> Coco's ears all flipped up looking all wonky. She's starting to get earwax. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Only now just starting. <laughs> So because you have a dog named Coco, we should just change our Twitter account name to Team Coco and see see what happens. Yeah, see if Conan comes at us. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see would get his attention. Well, no, we're Coco with an A, bro. Yeah. We're Coco with an A. Mm. Yeah. He got he got sued for someone alleged that his writers had like stolen jokes or whatever, and then they said that, you know, parallel thinking was a defense and he came out like very much in support of his writers, which I totally agree with because I believe that they wouldn't steal something. Um but if they call us out, we could just be like parallel thinking, dude. Team Coco, yeah, man. Right? Come on. Flip and it we'll- on them. <laughs> yes. My 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 hero. I would never do that. Conan, I love you. God fuck. Fuck. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I love him so much. I sleep with a picture next to him actually in my bed. <laughs> oh. Okay. Yeah. Do you that's kiss how it much, when you wake that's up. That's how much I love him. Yeah, I have I have two. <gasps> I have two like beautiful like artworks about Conan of Conan. Wow, that was really not a sentence. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> I get all flustered. <laughs> he, he gives you the vapors. He does. Jordan. I fucking love him so much. <laughs> oh my god. All right. Well, I I hope uh, everyone will see you tomorrow 
for the happy hour meet and greet. And our theme is Flip It Blue. Okay, because we're going to bring back the old Mueller She Wrote segment soon, Flip It Blue, uh, to gear up for the election, which is 97 days away, I believe. And uh, so we're going to bring back the Flip It Blue segment. So Flip It Blue is our Friday happy hour um, Daily Beans meet and greet theme. So wear blue, drink a blue. Do you, uh, we were joking, um, wondering if you had any blue curacao left. And I'm like, that's I not do. really a liquor that you that you drink in a sitting. That's usually a bottle of liquor you have for a couple of years. That's the one that you have to dust off. So I yeah. figured you probably had some blue curacao left. So that'll be perfect. Yeah, I'm looking at the bottle right now. And yeah, it's dust filled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so... I, I think that that's going to be our theme, Flip It Blue. So join us for that 4 p.m. Pacific time for patrons. We open it up to the public at 5 p.m. for everybody else. And we'll tweet out the link to all that. And uh, we'll email the link to patrons ahead of time, usually around lunchtime on Friday, uh, along with the theme. And so that's it. Everybody, until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. I've been Jordan Coburn. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>